0: Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs.
1: And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Proper 26 or Lectionary 31, which this year falls on the 30th of October.
0: Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For our deep dive this episode, as we hinted at last week, we are diving into taxes. Oh my gosh, I just realized in the next like two weeks, we will have covered death, death and taxes.
1: And taxes. <laughs> nice. That was actually not intentional. Not in jokes, that order. But I'm not arguing with it. I
0: love it. I love it. With like a little lesser known reformation thrown in between. Brilliant. So we are diving into taxes today. Hopefully you understand why by the time we get to the gospel, which stars Zacchaeus and Jesus. But so we're going to talk about all sorts of taxes, but we're going to begin with biblical taxes. And that is in terms of like biblical times and biblical. So there are there's a difference between taxes on citizens, which is what we're most familiar with as yes. US, folks in the US and taxes on subjects or occupied areas, which is what Palestine was to other people. under Roman occupation and what the US does to other people.
1: Yeah. So for example, if we're talking about biblical taxes, in ancient Rome they levied taxes on the they levied taxes yeah. They threw taxes onto their citizens. Now, for you example, know, in ancient levy, in ancient Rome, they levied taxes on the citizens for upkeep of various services and for the military. But the taxes that were paid by, say, the Israelites and other occupied countries were more oppressive than the ones that the citizens of ancient Rome were paying. And what didn't go to military upkeep, you know, the military that was beating them up in the streets, usually, went to enrich the governors or the Roman officials of the area. And Romans also levied what was called the Jewish tax specifically on the Israelites after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which is to say after Jesus's time, where those Israelites who did pay that tax were not forced to sacrifice to Roman gods. This was basically a punishment for the rebellion that happened just after Jesus's time in Israel.
0: Yeah, you know, we've never heard of other punishments for rebellions. Never. Like Haiti
1: only finishing paying off France a few years ago. Yeah,
0: I was actually thinking of the Hunger Games, but yes, also Haiti. Okay, that too. And sure. Many other countries. Yeah. So one of the thing, some of the other information about taxes in that time, Jericho, which is where the gospel story takes place, Jesus is on his way to Jericho, is was actually a customs center, so it was a good spot for the chief tax collector, aka Zacchaeus, to hang out and try to encounter Jesus there also in because of some of the things that Kay just mentioned tax collection was a a way of ostracizing yourself like being a tax collector was ostracization because you were working for Rome you were working for the occupation government and that alienated you from your people and put you in opposition to your people and and so we have some more information that this comes from the jewish annotated new testament which really we should like reach out and see if they want to like sponsor an ad because we promote their stuff all the time so you know if you're amy jill levine and you want to pay us to (laughs) tell everyone how much your stuff is great we'd love that though we do do it for free for free we'd so, rather yeah, have you say. come on our podcast and then that we'll would be awesome. tell you sure yeah also I would, another way oh of my payments. gosh can you believe it huh? yeah i think it's gonna be a lot uh, yeah but if any of our dear listeners know amy Jill, dr amy Jill levine <laughs> please we would love to have her on this podcast yeah anyway so one of the misconceptions by christians about jesus time is around sinners and tax collectors being Quote unquote cast out from community. So it's not that they are cast out by other people. It's that they are people who violate the welfare of the community and therefore have deliberately removed themselves from the common good, which is a very different thing than being kicked out. It's is a different dynamic. Who's, yeah. Who has the agency and choice in that? And also... Uh, Luke alludes, when it, when we're talking about the empire, throughout the Roman Empire, tax collectors were viewed negatively. Next sources view tax collecting with disdain, and Luke alludes to the likelihood that those who were tax collectors, who held the office of tax collector, routinely took more money than they were entitled to. So that's part of why. There is so much disdain, right? They are exploiting their people for their own financial gain. Well, how well, maybe it's not that simple for everyone, and Zacchaeus might be an exception to that, perhaps. Our gospel reading, but no spoilers yet.
1: I mean, the Bible has been out for a few thousand years, so...
0: I mean, I guess.
1: Like, also, newsflash, sure. Jesus comes back from the dead. What? (laughs) While we do bump into the temple tax in the Gospels, that was not really so much a thing during Jesus's time. Uh, It was more something that happened in the really ancient Israel of the Hebrew scriptures. Israel was still self governing. Israel Mm -hmm. got taken over by various other places. That money didn't so much go to the temple as it went to, you know, their occupying force. So.
0: Yeah. There is, and there is a little bit of like, complicated dynamics when sometimes like the higher up priests would take more than was their fair share and so the poorer priests didn't have enough but yeah. that happens literally in every religion ever so yeah so that's what we have for
1: biblical era taxes now modern taxes Emily and I are immediately going to agree that as Americans, really the only tax system we have familiarity with to any level is the American tax system. Canada, you're delightful, but we don't really know you that well. Anyone else <laughs> listening, for that matter? Uh, these days, we tend to think more of taxes as a social contract. We live in a society, we interact with each other whether we want to or not, and there is really only so hermit-like one person can be, and therefore we all chip in a bit to make everyone's lives easier. And While I'm on the subject of uh, taxes as a social contract, I would just like to throw in a quick shout out to the IRS customer service people. I have never had (laughs) such spectacular customer service as I have when I have called the IRS. This might be because usually when I call the IRS, I am crying at the time, but... They are wonderful. They are absolutely hands down the best customer service people I've ever worked with and always been nothing but delightful. And so, like, seriously, if you are having trouble with your taxes in America, your federal taxes, call the IRS, do it early because they've been wildly understaffed for several years now. And right. a customer service people will help you figure it out. Make sure you call them before they start, you know, beating your door down and you'll be fine.
0: So, you know yeah and then when it comes to so when it comes to this social contract we call taxes there are a variety of different ways that taxes are levied also there was a time in the world where people were proud when they had to pay lots in taxes like where wealthy people were like proud of how much they contributed in taxes that time is obviously not now because the wealthy people are trying to avoid paying any taxes ever but there was a time sure there i think might in have been ancient some Rome
1: who did that, but also I'm pretty sure that at any given time there have also been rich people who were whining about it,
0: so... Yes, but it was, it's like an honor thing, like there was honor oh, in paying yes, an taxes Oh yes, in an honor-sharing society it that,
1: that you... would be a yeah, that would be seen differently.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, because it meant that you had so much wealth to be able to. Yeah. So one of the main forms of taxes in this country is federal income tax. And so that is the thing that causes a bunch of headaches for many of us, hmm. or at least part of it. It acts based on what you are paid, and then it goes to pay mostly for the military, if we're being honest about how budgeting works in the federal government. The military is the largest budget item. And then it also goes towards paying for the staffing for and stuff for federal government branches, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches, for infrastructure like federal highways and bridges and services, for agencies like The VA, the Veterans Association, the IRS, the FDA, the CDC. It also goes towards programs like Medicare, Medicaid, SNAP, or food stamps benefits. All of those things paid for through the federal income tax. And the difference between how much goes to military and how much goes to SNAP is huge. Also like NASA, right? NASA gets paid because yay science. Like the military gets so much and SNAP like pennies from each person goes towards SNAP benefits. The most exciting thing that I think the most encouraging thing that taxes go towards is the programs like Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, VA, those programs that are specifically designed to be help for people when they are out of luck but the most exciting for me is things like the Hubble Space Telescope which almost didn't get made and only got made because people fought for it including Senator Barbara Mikulski from Maryland who was the first woman to wear pants on the Senate floor apparently and got like all sorts yeah she also like made them have a women's bathroom and stuff. But she helped convince people and fight for Hubble to be paid for, even when there were some, like, hiccups in the creation of it. And there's, like, a great quote of, like, I just, I told them that it would basically be, like, a lunch out from each taxpayer, and then a pause, and then, uh, maybe a lunch each year. So it was just, like, blatantly lied and didn't have the information, and yet very effective and probably pretty accurate.
1: That's. I think that's about as much as uh, individual person in the middle class puts towards SNAP benefits every year. That once.
0: Oh, um, that's like more than I think we put towards SNAP benefits. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you spend on lunch. It's true. And- ch- I have to say, I think I was definitely in college the first time someone told me that in some other countries, like, say, Australia, the government does the math of how much money you owe in taxes for you and just sends you a bill. This whole having to do the math ourselves then is apparently weird.
0: Yeah, it's honestly, it is part of the corruption that we deal with in terms of capitalism, right? Taxes shouldn't be a business. They should be simple enough and easy enough to figure out on your own. And yet the tax, like, branch of capitalism or whatever is huge from software companies that increasingly, like, try to make it harder and harder to file your taxes for free. And then, like, they keep asking you to upgrade, but then they also, like, force you to upgrade sometimes. It is such a pain and it is, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be a lot simpler.
1: Yeah. I realize that what I'm about to say is now completely obsolete, but the way that taxes were explained to me back when I was in high school, I graduated in 2001, was that if you rent your home and you just have the one job and you don't have investments or other complicating factors, you can almost certainly do the 1040 form on your own, having gotten a copy from the library for free. And it wasn't that hard. And I did that myself for several years. But the one time you definitely want to treat yourself to an accountant back then was the year you buy a home and they were just starting off with tax software back then it was not that big of a thing and there were also certain types of jobs where it made sense to hire an accountant instead of doing your own taxes like if you were self-employed or a contractor or for that matter clergy but these days it's just all gotten so much more complicated and it really doesn't need to be and like you know, with those countries where you're not having to do your own math, like if you want to do the math and double check the government and challenge the government on what they say, you can do that. That's, you know, a lot of extra work, but sometimes they make mistakes. Sure, absolutely. You don't have to do it every year if you think they're getting it about right. And that's just extraordinary to me.
0: Yeah, that would save so much effort and so much time. Yes so most of us
1: spend a lot more money on our federal income tax than we do on our state income taxes state income taxes are more likely to go for things like state roads, state police and jails and prisons some will go to schools but honestly most schools are mostly funded by property taxes instead some state money will go to universities although a lot less now than before, thank you President Reagan Mm -hmm. sarcastic in case you couldn't tell, and also some of the money that you pay in state taxes are actually your local county or town taxes that have been figured into your state taxes for you, unless your local areas just do property and sales tax and don't deal with levying actual taxes themselves.
0: Yeah. And speaking of property taxes, property taxes pay primarily for schools, which means that schools in different neighborhoods have vastly different funding because property levels are vastly different. I know growing up in Colorado, Colorado actually put a cap on how different they could be, which is good in that it kept the wealthy areas from being ridiculously well-funded, and some of that went to the more impoverished areas. But it also then is difficult because the wealthier areas are higher cost of living, and so then it was harder to live and work as a teacher there. So there's complicated things about paying for education through property taxes, and really the reality is using property tax as a judge for anything is problematic, including fire and police departments, libraries, town streets, all of that stuff. A, we really don't need the police departments, so we could just get rid of them in general, but also if the fire department is only as well-funded as the property taxes then that could be really dangerous when there's a fire or a drought like we talked about last week sure absolutely And then
1: also we have sales taxes in America. They vary from place to place so much, really. There are some places that don't do sales tax at all. And there are some Mm -hmm. places that use their sales taxes primarily to encourage or discourage certain types of items sold, cigarettes, alcohol, or yes, absolutely. They are trying to take advantage of a certain type of item being popular in an area. Back when big malls were popular, a lot of malls would have a higher sales tax in their particular neighborhood on like clothing and that kind of thing in order to make the most of that stuff being sold there. And gas taxes, for example, will often go to road maintenance, that kind of thing. Generally speaking, the sales taxes tend to prop up the state and local taxes at various levels. Yeah,
0: Sales taxes are really harmful for low-income folks because whereas income taxes are adjusted rates based on income, With, like, enough loopholes to be super problematic, but also don't require people under a certain level of income to pay taxes. Yeah, like, Um, at least
1: there's an effort there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sales taxes are for everyone. And so they're especially harmful for low-income folks because they are more likely to be spending a higher percentage of their own income on taxes because of having a smaller income. And that's also one of the primary issues with the concept
1: of a flat tax, which you may have heard of before. People have been saying, what if we all just paid exactly the same amount of our income and wealth? And across the board, we all paid 10% and then we don't have to do all this complicated math. Well, that's going to screw over some people who can't afford to lose 10% of their stuff.
0: Yep. So maybe not. And the other piece about sales tax is that it benefits high-income people because while they might buy more things or more expensive things, they can frequently skirt around it by buying things out of state. I grew up in a tourist area, and so tourists would come from out of state, would look at stuff if it was really expensive, and the sales tax was going to be really high. They could say, okay, I want to buy it, but ship it to their home, and then they wouldn't pay sales tax on it because it was an out of state purchase. So there's like really problematic stuff on sales tax, and that that includes like taxing menstrual products, which primarily impacts people who menstruate, which is yeah. so people call it the pink tax, but those sorts of things where you're taxing things that are literally necessary for people to survive
1: it should be the blood red tax.
0: Exactly. Also some states in order to like somewhat account for that and to just like boost retail sales I think in August have like a tax-free week where you can buy clothes and backpacks and that sort of a thing within some limits and you won't get charged taxes for like a particular week usually in August so that sure. folks can go back to school shopping. Also there's a new concept well Not new, but wealth tax is another thing. It is both new and not new. So, one form of wealth tax that we do have is capital gains taxes, which are taxes on investments. And those were cut significantly during the Trump era. So, those used to be something like a wealth tax, and now there's a lot less that is taxed and a lot less income coming from that. But Elizabeth Warren, who was the presidential candidate in the last presidential election cycle, has proposed a 2% wealth tax. So it would be a tax for any net money worth over $50 million. So that takes into account all of your assets, not just your investments, but also like land and property and cars and all of that stuff. So anything over $50 million would have to pay 2% of whatever that is. So if you had $51 million, you'd have to pay 2% of $1 million. And then it's a two-tiered thing. So then there would be a 6% tax on any net wealth over $1 billion, which those are like huge amounts of money that most of us can't even fathom. There's like very small percentage of people and we'll link to more information about the ultra millionaire tax, but there's a very small number of people who this would actually apply to, but it would make a huge difference. Like trillions of dollars would be generated in money that States could use. Yeah. And
1: if any of you are worried about one day having to pay an inheritance tax Most of us in America right now are not going to have to worry about that because it turns out that you only have to start paying an inheritance tax once you hit the $10 million mark. Now, if you're inheriting land or property, that might actually be an issue. But for the vast majority of us, we're not going to have to worry about that at all.
0: Correct. I can't even imagine inheriting $10 million. No. One of the other taxes, which we talked about a little bit at the very beginning, we've mostly talked about taxes levied against individuals. We did do some, like, the Roman occupying forces levying taxes against the individuals with, like, interlocutors and stuff. But for the most part, we've been talking about taxes that individuals have to pay. The other type of tax is one that's called a tribute. And that's something that an occupied country has to pay to colonizers. It is also something that sometimes, like, Haiti was paying France for its own liberation and the loss of money due to colonization and slavery of the Haitian people. Still today, there are tributes that are required from mostly, I think, countries in Africa. But that's part of the big pushback against the queen when she died was a lot, like, Ireland was one of the like more popular ones because they're white. But there was also a lot of pushback from people in various countries in Africa and various other places where the United Kingdom had colonized the countries and then the countries were required to pay tribute to the UK.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to pop culture mentioning taxes, uh, there are plenty of options because it turns out that taxes have been around for a while and if you want a historical reference there's Mm -hmm. always laura ingalls wilder's dad charles ingalls who had the classic line of there are two things that are certain in this life death and taxes of course i
0: didn't know that was laura ingalls wilder's dad that's That's the earliest place i've read that line
1: I suppose someone else might have also said it before then, but that is the earliest source I've ever seen it from. And of course, Laura herself wound up growing up to help libertarianism. So you
0: might want to keep that in
1: mind when you use that line. I'm just saying.
0: I didn't know she helped found libertarianism. I just went on a roller coaster <laughs> with these revelations. She's,
1: her daughter Rose did, but she's the one who like put the ideas in Rose's head in a big way. And you can actually see that when you read the books, if you read between the lines a little bit. Huh. Interesting. Also, uh, as I've said recently, I've been watching the Harley Quinn cartoon, and there is, in the first season, I think, the Queen of Fables is a famous supervillain who had been captured and incarcerated in a book of tax law for a couple
0: of decades, and so she was basically
1: an accountant for most of the first season, but she was basically a talking tax book. Uh, It was kind of funny.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Also, Robin Hood. Robin (laughs) Hood, right? Neither Kay nor I thought of it, and then Kay read it, and we were like,
1: oh, of course. This is what AB Tropes is for. Yes.
0: Yep. Rob from the rich. Steal from the rich and give to the poor.
1: Yes, and the reason he was doing that is that at the beginning of pretty much every adaptation of Robin Hood, the prince increases taxes mostly to pay for, you know, the prince's shiny, flashy things, basically. Mm-hmm. Also, if you look into the historical stuff going on at the time, Prince John and King Richard, who are main characters in the uh, Robin Hood stories, they were mm-hmm. the sons of Henry II and the sons of Eleanor of Aquitaine. You may have heard that name before. That was a whole big, long, political, ongoing drama. But basically, King Richard went off to the Crusades in the Middle East to, you know, murder brown people. And the increased taxes also probably went to paying for that as well.
0: Yeah. Also a friendly reminder, murder bad. Yeah, murder definitely bad.
1: And I had forgotten this joke, but there is a throwaway line in Zootopia. Judy meets Nick for one of the very first times and manages to figure out what he's up to. And so she threatens to turn him in for felony tax evasion. And he actually looks scared. He is not concerned with the cops in town, but the Internal Revenue Service is a completely different matter.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Which makes sense because that is the only way that they caught Al Capone. Yeah. Like, mafia. Growing up in basically Northern only Illinois, I definitely caught. grew up yeah. with
1: that story. Yep.
0: Mafia basically only get caught because of tax evasion and tax fraud and money stuff. Yeah. Not for actually, like, killing people and stuff.
1: Right. There's a whole big, long history and, like, reasons for that, but that's not really what this deep dive is about. That's true. Of course, in the 1980s rom-com with John Cusack called Say Anything, the IRS plays a, at first, very small subplot role that slowly grows as the movie continues, as the IRS figures out what the main character's dad is up to. And it's a very rare case where the IRS is actually playing the good guys. And that's kind of nice. So I appreciate that. Basically, you know, if you're going to run a nursing home, don't steal from your patients or clients
0: no way yeah yeah that makes sense and we would be remiss if we talked about all of this including tributes without talking about the hunger games because what are taxes if not the tributes in fact like literally they're yeah taking children as taxes for you know not wanting to be enslaved and exploited this is all of course in addition to most of the resources of the districts go directly to supporting the capital. So there's that.
1: Our first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. The prophet Isaiah tells the people that God is not satisfied with their rituals and offerings when there is injustice among them, but instead wants them to change their actions to become a just and compassionate people. And if you've read the first line of this reading, we suggest that you check out our deep dive into Sodom and Gomorrah for more context.
0: Which we will link to because we are smart like that.
1: That would probably be helpful.
0: Yeah, although this passage does give a pretty good context for Sodom and Gomorrah, but definitely check out the episode. So, one of the themes in this passage is the idea of words without deeds. God is not happy that people are saying they love God, but not actually like following through with, you know, working against injustice. And it reminded me of Frozen 2 when, like, throughout the movie, Anna is constantly saying to Elsa, hey, you can't do this alone. Like, we need to do this together. And Elsa's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, it culminates in this point where, like, Anna is like, Elsa, we have to do this together. You can't just keep pushing me away. And Elsa's like, yeah, I'll work with you while right behind her creating this ice boat and then pushing her into it and sending her down the river so that she is, quote, unquote, safe from harm, which doesn't work the way that she anticipates, and also it's just like, uh, really, Elsa? Like, stop saying it if you're not gonna do it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I don't know about you, but, like, when I watched that movie, that did not seem in character for Elsa, after the first one, especially. It just seemed
0: weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, like, okay, you should have learned your lesson. Like, the lesson learned in the first movie is actually, we're better together. And love solves everything.
1: Yeah, and also, like, Anna spent... A decent chunk of the first movie trying to save Elsa. And so Elsa should not mm-hmm. be surprised when Anna does that again. That is yep. completely, yeah,
0: anyway. Oh yeah, well. and she's actually, like, pretty good at saving Elsa. Yeah. absolutely.
1: And then in verse 11, we read, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. God is complaining here about the people of Israel not acting with justice. And I do, in fact, understand that. But also, I think, you know, if you're gonna do offerings to God in general, which is not really Uh a thing we do these days, but if you are going to, I think like having a bit of a variety of offerings seems reasonable. And would also be a sign of compassion and empathy, right? Like, I'm not a vegetarian, but I do eat vegetables sometimes. Or, you know, I'll take a nice cheesecake if I have enough lactate at hand. (laughs) Giving God a variety of offerings seems polite, i don't know like the classic science fiction stories where food has been reduced to a series of tasteless pills were not supposed to be an instruction manual on how to not have to worry about food anymore (laughs) generally speaking they were a warning of what not to do don't just give one thing over and over like you know a variety is helpful and no one wants the same thing all the time
0: yeah that's like the there was a thing going around twitter the other week that was like fantasy is this sci-fi is this and it was like fantasy is a hearty fresh baked bread and a bowl of soup and sci-fi is a pill that gives you all your nutrients necessary for the day
1: yeah like if you want to like have a pill that like fills in the nutrition you're missing or something that sounds like a great plan and then we can still you know enjoy actual food
0: but I'm definitely a fantasy person on that binary.
1: Yeah. Why is it that science fiction never has, you know, those lovingly described beasts with several different courses? You would think they'd learn something.
0: You would think. Okay. And then in verse 16, we read, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. I feel like my go-to is always Noah Wiley's character in Redemption, and I never know his name, and I don't care to ever know his name because Noah Wiley is one of the few actors that I actually like know in enough different things that I know his actual name but there is like that's the start of leverage redemption is Noah Wiley's character is like oh I did evil I don't want to keep doing evil let's stop that and do good things so yeah good job Noah Wiley's character absolutely Anyway, and then in verse 17, we read, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And Christian Avasarala in The Expanse is not perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination, but she is a good example of that shift from doing evil to seeking justice, right? In everything that she does, she wants to be She cares about the well-being of Earthers, of the people of the Earth. But, like, at the beginning of The Expanse, she literally is torturing Belters by putting them on hooks on Earth where their bodies are not capable of sustaining the gravity of Earth. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. So, like, that's how she starts. And then there's this beautiful journey that she goes through of recognizing the importance of the Belters and the value of the Belters as human beings and as people. Yeah, she definitely shifts to seeking justice and rescuing the oppressed. Yeah. And then in
1: verse 18, we read, Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And I just love that God actually wants to argue with us about what we've done. Like, the idea of a God who is up for having the conversation sounds great. However, mm-hmm. I would suggest being careful with how you argue with God. Like, I don't think that an argument from authority is going to carry a lot of weight with God. <laughs> for that matter, uh, if you are trying to appeal to the word of God, you definitely want to make sure you've got it right the first time, right? Right. Don't assume that you are the person in the room who knows the most about either of those or really anything when you're arguing with God.
0: Is you? Although if you want to argue like Tevye does in Fiddler on the Roof, go for it. Because that is emotional. And I feel like that's the yeah. best way to connect with God. Yeah, actually. no, by all
1: means, argue with God. Just like I would especially say that don't claim to
0: have an authority don't that argue. God
1: doesn't have. And do be careful when citing the word of God. Both of those seem pretty reasonable.
0: Yeah. yeah. Our second passage for this episode is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 and 11 through 12. The authors praise the early church of Thessalonica for their faithfulness during times of difficulty and persecution. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of praise, of lifting up what people are doing well. And it reminded me of Laya. There's a lot that happens in the Ember in the Ashes series, but one of the things that the threads throughout is Laya's hair for and like passion for storytelling. And so when she, at the end, is learning to be a Kahani, which is a storyteller from Mamie Ryla, who is Elias's her like boyfriend, love interest, whatever's adopted mom. She gets praise for the learning that she's doing and for the ways that she is learning how to be a St. kehani and doing it well. Like,
1: oh. As we jump into the verses, uh, when we read verse two, we read Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I literally just a few days ago had the conversation with my confirmation students about how the grace that we talk about in church is generally speaking less physical gracefulness and more God's freely given forgiveness and love. But also it occurs to me as I'm reading Paul or, you know, people claiming to be Paul, whatever, that wishing or praying for each other to get a little less klutzy now and then is not exactly a bad idea. And also I figure that if you're, talking to god about it god probably knows which one you mean so (laughs) just like i I was reading this and uh, read grace to you and i thought to myself you know i know some people who could use some more grace like physically speaking in their lives that (laughs) does actually make sense Mm -hmm. and also like goofy's life in the disney cartoons would be a lot easier if he had a little bit more physical grace so Mm. like that seems like a reasonable thing to wish for people by all means go ahead
0: yeah That makes sense. I was reading verse three and read, we must always give thanks to God for you siblings, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And I love that sentiment. And it reminds me of the council in the Graceling books that Katza has set up because like there are some setbacks in it but for the most part you can trace throughout the books the ways that this particular community of people grows in their love for each other not and not only for each other but also for those who they are helping and who they are helping with like liberation and stuff that they care deeply for one another and then in verse four we read therefore we ourselves boast of you among the churches of god for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring and in the show orphan black that's like literally the experience of all of the clones the girl clones is they like, the government folks are always coming after them. They're constantly persecuted and afflicted. Like, people, both the government and, like, religious extreme, like, Christian religious extremists and all of that stuff are coming after them. And yet they, like, for the most part, remain faithful to each other. There's a little bit of backstabby and, like, that sort of thing because plot and whatnot. But for the most part, they they do remain faithful to their sisterhood-ish, siblinghood-ish relationships. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then in verse 11, we read, To this end, we always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of his call. And... I don't know. Like when I read this, there is some part of me that flashes back to the early 2000s and back when pickup artist tricks were kind of a thing and negging people that is uh, insulting them in order to get them to try to respond to you by proving that wrong was a thing in order to get a certain kind of reaction. I do I don't think that's what the author is doing here. Actually, I think that the author is praying that the Thessalonians have what I have learned to call a good learning experience. Those words are capitalized. Those are scary. And I generally don't pray for other people to have good learning experiences with all capital letters (laughs) like that. Like. You know, because there's a difference between learning how to do something and say, like, whistling whistle while you work to yourself from Snow White while you're doing it versus, like, the training montage in Mulan, much more (laughs) along the lines of what I have started to call a good learning experience, a a bit of uh, of jadedness and (laughs) resignation. That was pretty painful, as I remember. Yeah. By all means, you know, learn things, get better at things, be worthy of God's call. But like, it it can be a not unpleasant experience too. that. that That'd be okay. I would be fine with that. Yeah, agreed. And finally, our gospel for this episode is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. A rich man who collects taxes for the Roman occupying force in Israel. Zacchaeus endeavors toward generosity and reparations when meeting Jesus.
0: So one of the themes is reparations. And this is uh, like paying money back, right? Zacchaeus says, I give to the poor and I pay back four times as much. And while most of your translations will be in the future tense, the Greek is actually in the present tense. So Zacchaeus is saying what he actually already actively is doing. That's more the reparations, right? The Giving money back. More so than the, like, Westworld version that's, like, a lot more violent, where the AI finally get to a place where, like, they actually have intelligence and could potentially be not artificially intelligent but could have real conscience and stuff and then they like kill a whole bunch of humans because the humans have been repeatedly killing them so like a little bit more revenge than necessarily reparations but there is a like paying back thing that happens yeah also murder bad
1: sort of yeah murder definitely bad Murder's still bad. Uh, So in verse 3, we read, He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. And this is where the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song starts running through my head. So I also, however, have a flashback to a certain Ally McBeal episode, which has a few fun scenes in it. This is the episode where Richard Fish is a character, and his uncle has died. Richard Fish is a partner in Ally's law firm. And... Mm -hmm his uncle had either a phobia or a hatred or something, but like did not like short people. And like, he specifically picked his church based on how tall the pastor was. (laughs) It's just weird, but they were trying to talk about prejudice. They were mostly failing, but at least this part wound up being funny because Richard Fish was having this ongoing conversation with the pastor of the church. In his eulogy for his uncle, he wanted to mention that his uncle did not like short people because that was a real part of who he was, even if it was bizarre, and he was planning on saying Mm -hmm. it was bizarre. But the pastor wouldn't let him because the pastor was a black man and did not want to feel like he was encouraging or giving voice to prejudice in church. Mm. which I understand what winds up happening at the funeral is that Richard Fish gives a actually quite nice eulogy. Uh, And then afterwards, I think the implication is that he paid off the choir director because the choir immediately starts singing the song short people by Randy Newman, which is uh, if you've ever heard the line, short people got no reason to live. That's where that comes from. (laughs) oh (laughs) and it's it's a black church choir they do a fantastic job it's a really good song but it's also very insulting to short people and richard is having a great time and uh, eva pastor actually gets into the song by the end of it I, i do want to give a quick heads up part of the reason why they were trying to talk about prejudice in this episode is because this was the b plot of the episode the a plot was about a trans person they tried to do an episode about a trans person this would have been the either late 90s or very early 2000s it did not age well i don't recommend watching mm-hmm. the entire episode by all means but i did find a clip of just the funeral itself on youtube and we can link to that and that is a pretty fun scene so
0: yeah as long as you're not short
1: yeah yeah <laughs> Actually, a character in the show who is like legit short, and he also attends the funeral because he's a good friend of Richard's. And it, mm. his face during the funeral is also pretty fun. But hmm. yeah. Gotcha.
0: And then in verse five, we read When Jesus came to the place, which is to say the place with the sycamore tree, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And I was thinking about the show pose and there's a lot like in general the show is all over the like hospitality and stuff but there's like a couple characters and I couldn't I think Blanca does this but I was thinking of somebody else and I couldn't figure out who it was but the like they are just like so bold and like come to the house mothers house parents and are like I need to join I must stay at your house today right like this I belong in your house and so Blanca does it when she's first getting to New York and first like getting into the ballroom scene and stuff she has that boldness to say to Electra of the House of Abundance I must become part of the House of Abundance and it works and she does cool
1: And then in verse eight, we read, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And that last part is basically how to make a fine not be a price. If you're going to institute a fine for a crime, there are going to be some people who have enough money that think that that basically the price of committing the crime. And in order to avoid Mm -hmm. that, you have to actually make the financial impact Bad enough that they want to avoid it, even if you're rich. Yeah. Which makes me think of Tony Stark getting a speeding ticket and just, you know, pays it because speeding tickets are a thing that happens to him because he can afford it. Mm -hmm. That also makes me think of a few years ago, Finland went to making traffic tickets based on your income. And so some of those traffic tickets are very expensive because that's how much it takes to make people who are, you know, rich actually notice and drive safely.
0: Interesting. That's fascinating. I also think of like cash bail and bonds and like, maybe we shouldn't do that because they're just punishment for poor people being poor. And then in verse nine, we read, then Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And I was thinking about this concept of salvation and particularly with the like verb tense in the Greek of Zacchaeus is saying things in the present tense. And so then I was like, well, is it like salvation comes in the Buffy's universe? Is it when Buffy becomes the slayer? Or when she like slays and saves someone? Right? Like, is this Jesus being like, salvation is here now, or is salvation just here because it has been stated that this is what has been happening this whole time?
1: I could see it going either way, but also I haven't seen a ton of Buffy. I've seen, like, the first season and also the musical episode. <laughs> and as I remember it, she doesn't actually really enjoy either of those things, becoming the Slayer or saving people. Like, usually the saving it's people true. part and the slay- slaying things part is not actually very much fun for her.
0: It's true. So, it's less about her salvation than about everybody else's salvation because of her. Yeah,
1: which sounds exhausting. And it I does. suppose Jesus' life was probably also exhausting. You know, now.
0: Probably. And now it is time for our delightful segment, Let's Make a Muppets Musical. (laughs) Who are you casting, Kay?
1: Well, because our next episode is our Reformation episode, I was remembering when Pace joined us for our last Mm -hmm. Reformation episode. And I don't remember if it was that episode or a different one when Pace was with us, but at some
0: point, wasn't it Pace that cast Sweetums as God? Pace did cast Sweetums as God. It wasn't in that one because we weren't doing "Let's Make a Muppets Musical." It was when you were sick, and Pace. Oh yes, that's right. It was the
1: COVID episode where I wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. So I thought of Sweetums being cast as God, and then I thought about our Isaiah text today. And oh man, can you imagine being told by Sweetums that he was disappointed in you? Oh. Wouldn't that just be heart wrenching? Like I would be destroyed. That would suck. like, that even makes it clearer that, yes, Sweetums is the perfect casting as God.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah.
1: So that's why uh, I,
0: I like. that. I like that. I went to, okay, who are the smaller Muppets? And Elmo as Zacchaeus? I love that. Yeah, it just struck me as, like, so delightful. That, that would be so sweet. Yes,
1: Absolutely. Although I, I have to admit that hearing Elmo's voice admitting that he's defrauded people is a little unexpected, but also like you know, it, sure. Yeah, he, he could make yeah. it work,
0: whatever. Well, and it's an if if I defraud yeah. anyone of anything. So That is true. There's a little if there, but Sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Reformation Sunday. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com.
0: Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com nerdsatchurch. It's cheaper than paying TurboTax for your taxes. Oh, goodness, that's true. Also, let us know
1: on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, pox Pox phobism."